Well, on my short walk from my office to the Breezeway Room, where we're doing this filming for the worship service that many of you will watch from home or the road or at the beach, I stumbled across a coffee cup that was given to me a few years back by a guy named Chaney. A lot of you know Chaney. He owns and operates Swellophonic here in Fondren. And this coffee cup that he gave me as a gift, I guess you would call it a gift, says, sometimes I don't sleep in church when Robert preaches. I really appreciate the gift. It made me smile and made me miss him. It made me miss you guys and seeing you. I can't tell who's sleeping uh, during this sermon. And I look forward to the days when we can be back again together so I can catch you guys uh, either enthused about the message or sleeping during it. And good days are ahead of us. Well, 2020, a lot of you know, it's pretty big in the media this week, but 2020 uh, is halfway over. Can you believe that? And you don't know whether you should applaud or opine, but we are halfway through this year. And I don't know that anybody, I, don't, I can't think of anybody personally, again, we got half a year to go, but I can't think of anybody personally that's going to say, man, 2020, what a year. That was a great year. That was my best year ever. And I know it's popular on the internet. There's a lot of memes out there, and I kind of coalesced my top five memes. Oh, you, these will pass on the screen there. I bet some of you have seen these. The first is your 2020 outfit. You'll see on the screen here in January, it's World War III. By February, it was Australian fires. By March, it's COVID-19. And you'll see, the, you'll see the outfits that you have needed thus far for 2020, the giant, massive killer bees or, horn, or killer hornets, I think they were called, the Saharan dust storm, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the second meme that you'll see there on the screen is it's the beginning of quarantine, a picture of a guy who's at home who is smiling at his chair there and he is watching a YouTube instructional video on how to make banana bread. And then 12, le 12 weeks later, he's out on the streets shirtless saying that we should disband the police force. The third meme is Steve Harvey. Well, it's depicted by Steve Harvey. When we think, gosh, we joke, there's so many jokes about how 2020 can't get any worse, but it continually does so. The fourth meme in my top five memes is history students. You'll see there with their yellow highlighter, history students looking back, they're in the year 2040, and they're looking back on the year 2020, and they were told by their teacher or professor to highlight all the important stuff that happens and look at the full yellow page there. And then the final meme, uh, here you see in the year 2070, it's pretended to be historians would look back and as they have produced a documentary about the year 2020. And there you see on the screen, a warning label that says, what you're about to watch is a nightmare. Well, we're halfway through with 2020 and here is the truth of it. There is so much pervasive abiding doom and gloom. This morning, I want to talk to us about leadership. We're in this series called Wish I Knew That Sooner, and we're looking at mentoring relationships. We're looking at the value of important lessons passed down. Last week, some of you might recall that we looked at this idea of the gospel giving us this message, this reality that no one is too far gone. And today, we're going to look at the idea of making an investment in ourselves as, as leaders. So here's the thing. This passage we're going to look at is really about church leadership. It applies certainly to the church, but I would say to all realms. So I want to broaden the net for us today and think about, ask you the question, what are you leading and who are you leading? You know, ultimately, it's not about how many followers that you have. It's who you're following. I think that's the heartbeat of leadership. 
You know, if we have leadership in the church without discipleship, we're creating simply a business culture. So we ultimately don't need to be worrying, looking behind us about exactly how many people are following us or we think are following us. We need to ultimately know the one that we're following. And that's what we see in this relationship. So in the midst of 2020 and the doom and gloom, I believe every leader who's going to lead well needs to follow the heart of Jesus into faith, hope, and love. On one side, doom and gloom, but God's economy, faith, hope, and love. Let me be a bit transparent. It's a struggle. Talking to some of our worship team just a moment ago, in the midst of what we see, in the midst of what we're experiencing, how do we find faith, hope, and love. And here's the thing, to be a leader today amidst the doom and gloom, we need, to, we need this faith, hope, and love to be part of what we possess and then part of what we express to others. We need to, we need to pass it on. Wouldn't you agree that we need faith, hope, and love in these times? And so what I want to do today is we look at 1 Timothy. Instead of normally what we do, we'll have you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3 and read from the ESV. What I want to do today is, in a quick way, pull out three important lessons for you. If you're going to be a leader, remember, don't worry about how many people are following you, but worry about who you're following. And so these lessons, I hope, will help shape who that you become. So here's the first lesson, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I, I want to put it this way. I want to give you three things. So here's the first. Start at home. Start at home. 1 Timothy 3, 5 tells us this. Check it out on your screen. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, here's a, here's a penetrating question. How can he take care of God's church? Leadership starts where you live. Leadership starts with who you live with. A seminary professor of old, one of mine, he told me, he told our class, that if it's not working at home, don't export it. So what are the implications there? That can be a heavy weight. You know, it's been that way for me because I haven't always gotten it right at home. I want to encourage you to lead well. It starts at home. Paul is saying when the church looks for leaders, we don't necessarily look for the people that are the richest or the most successful or the most popular. In fact, many times over, we might not want to do that. But look for leaders who lead at home because leadership starts at home. So the first thing from 1 Timothy 3, 5, start at home. Leadership begins where you live and who you live with. Every leader at home, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to think about the routines and the rhythms of family life. Think about the habits that produce peace in your home. Do you know that every home needs more peace? In the midst of tension, in the midst of turbulence, in the midst of things that can be so rocky, homes need more peace. Wouldn't you agree with that? So think about habits. Think about rhythms and routines that could produce peace in your home. Think about shared meals. Think about what is life-giving and joy-producing and memory-making. A lot of you guys who've been around me a while know that I share a story when I was first getting married of a mentor in my life who gave me this marital advice. He said, Robert, before you marry this beautiful brunette named Susan Mamarian, I want to tell you a few things. And one of the things he told me was some habits that would produce peace in our home that would help us in life-giving, joy-producing, memory-making moments. He said, dial her daily, date her weekly, and depart annually. 
You know, as a leader, I have tried to adhere to that because the best way, some of you have heard this before, but the best way I can love our kids is by loving their mom. A pastor I know says, I gave my kids two rules growing up. Honor your mother and don't lie to us because lying destroys or can destroy the relationship. The best way for me to be a leader is to love Susan. In fact, I'm, not, I'm never going to get that perfectly right, but I need to make progress in that area. For me, her name is Susan, and she tells my story. It's not so much the impact, the influence, any power I willed, or anything related to accomplishments. About, none of that. None of that matters if she's not loved and cared for and treated well. But families, leaders, listen, to lead well in the church, we must lead first We must lead well first at home. Again, it can be a heavy weight. I want to inspire you today, but I don't want it to be too heavy of a weight. And here's what I've learned. Confess when you're wrong. Here's a great legacy that we can leave our children. In fact, we don't leave them a good legacy if we don't admit when we're wrong. I remember many, many years ago when our daughter Haley, she's almost 19 now. She was probably seven or eight years old. And she said to me one time, she said, Dad, you're mad at mommy, aren't you? And I remember thinking, ah, I was a little taken back there because I thought my anger toward her mother was hidden. I thought it was controlled. I thought I was, you know, Mr. Godly super pastor. But she picked up on it, and little girls can be like that. They can be as gentle as a, buff, uh, gentle as a butterfly. They can notice any change in the temperature and the wind direction and the barometric pressure. They can tell when something's not right in the environment. And, you know, that has been a convicting point for me. Sure, we, we bump each other and bruise each other and let each other down. But to treat each other with love and gentleness and respect and then to make a confession when we're wrong. So the first thing I want to say to you in leadership is this. Start at home. That's where it does start. Start at home. Four times in chapter 3, Paul, the mentor, tells his mentee Timothy and the church and us today, He tells us about leading and loving our family well. Let's do that. Let's make a commitment to doing that, and let's seek help when it's not going in the direction that we need. The second thing besides start at home is this. Invest in your integrity. Invest in your integrity. Can I say now that any investment you make in your integrity, you'll never regret it. You may have a lot of regrets. We talk a couple of months ago about letting go of regret. There are so many regrets that we can have that hold us back. But here's a regret you'll never have, the investment that you make in your integrity. You'll see in chapter 3 and verse 7 that Paul tells Timothy, and again, he tells us, that the leader must also have a good reputation with outsiders. And then there's this warning, this condition there. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so he doesn't fall into a trap or into, um, into the trap of the devil. 1 Timothy 3, 7. Make an investment in your integrity. Integrity or a lack of integrity is something that comes up all the time. We see politicians spinning promises telemarketers scamming the elderly. 
We see repair shops padding their bills. We see accountants cooking the books or fudging the numbers. We see spouses not being faithful regarding uh, fidelity or money or something in marriage. I've known friends who've hired uh, spouses who've hired private investigators, businesses that have installed surveillance cameras and retail managers that have conducted audits, all because someone they thought they could count on wasn't living with an integrity. Any investment you can make in integrity, listen, you will not regret it. Invest in integrity. For many, many years as a pastor, I have traveled annually with a group of leaders. It's a time with no fanfare. It's not a part of a conference. It's just us getting together to be real with each other, to share ideas, and just really just to rest and to be human. Sometimes pastors feel like we can't be human. And for uh, the last five to six years, a minister, a man, has been missing, at least one or two every year. And here's the sobering reality that I'm telling you today. A man has been missing because of a lack of integrity. A moral failure, a trap that he has fallen into, that in essence has destroyed his family life and disqualified him from the ministry. I think of my own life. I can tell you today, Man, I've been faithful at home. I've, I've been faithful to my wife, never gotten close to not being faithful to her. I've never cheated on my taxes. I've always paid my tithes and go, gone over and above with offerings and such. Uh, I think I try to work as hard as anybody. I think all the staff would say that I have a really strong work ethic. There are things that maybe puff me up with pride to say I'm not as bad as them. But 1 Corinthians 10 tells me, let he who stands be careful lest he fall, number one. But number two, let me be honest and tell you, I've compromised. I've taken shortcuts. I've, I've practiced falsehood and deception. I've come close to disqualifying myself from ministry because of a path that I've been on that I had to confess. I had to be careful that it didn't grow into something bigger. And I'm so thankful. When it comes to integrity, there's these two gifts that can enter into our lives. And I would ask you to think about receiving both of these. One is confession. It's an opportunity simply for you to come clean when you think maybe you're drinking too much, when you think you're not handling money well, when you think of what is hidden in private could come to the surface, but you know it's destroying intimacy with God and others in your life. Listen, make, make this a practice, confess it. Confess and forsake. Proverbs 28, 13, he that confesses and forsakes will find mercy. That's an important practice on the road to better integrity. A second thing that God will bring into your life beyond confession is confrontation. I'm so grateful many years ago that someone saw an area of compromise, an area where I was taking a shortcut, an area that could have led to deception, and he called it out in me. And listen, when you're confronted, I know the, the internet's full of ugly confrontations between, between people. There's a, there's a terrible tone in our nation, so confrontation is not the best word right now. But there's a beautiful type of confrontation that Ephesians 4.15 talk, talks about, about speaking the truth in love. And sometimes God is going to bring that into your life. And I want to say, receive it. Receive that. Years ago, when I was a young man, I was still single. I was ministering to students at the University of Miami in Coral Gables. That was my home for seven plus years. And there was one night because of a potential hurricane coming 
to the area where we were hosting an event and not many people showed up and I was leading it and the normal person, my mentor, Steve DeBartelaben was out of town. So I was kind of the person. And since only a handful of people showed up, I just kind of punted the night. Like I stayed there and we just played games. We shot the breeze, but there was no, no worship, no opening of the Bible, no meaningful interaction. A couple of weeks later, when my mentor got back to town, he had the grace, he had the love, he had the truth. To, to confront me and it was really good for me because he saw probably some ego in my life he saw a cavalier attitude he saw kind of some loosey-goosiness in me and what he did is in a loving way he called it out in me I it was an area where it wasn't just an event and something that I didn't handle well my heart wasn't in it and so it was really the beginning of God doing some healing work in my life I'm so grateful that day when I sat down at 1510 Delgado Avenue in Coral Gables Florida and Steve DeBartelaben spoke that truth into my life and he did it so well and it took me a while to really fully receive it and to see all that God wanted to teach me from that so listen leadership it starts at home number one first Timothy 3 5 I want to challenge you to invest in your integrity first Timothy 3 7 Verse 9 will go on to say, and I want all of you to read the whole chapter later, but verse 9 would go on to talk about this idea of a good conscience, that we are to hold and keep the faith God establishes us, and the result of that is a good conscience. So many today, I'm not a doctor, I slept at home last night, but so many people can't get a good night's sleep without being aided by something, some sort of, some sort of, sedative some sort of pill that that we have to pop the best and softest pillow is a good conscience you and I won't always do it right we won't always get everything right but the gift of confession the gift of the gift of confrontation for us to give that to the Lord and to receive it from sisters and brothers in Christ will lead us to greater levels of integrity listen integrity is always an issue we cork bats and we inject steroids and we take shortcuts. Advertisers slant the news and there's just all kind of things, that empty promises in our world today. But beyond the media and the headlines, I want to ask you, how about you? What trap are you close to falling into? Maybe you are telling good stories and lying so that you sound good in the story. Maybe... You're keeping quiet where you need to speak up. Maybe there's compromise that you're working hard in an image that you're trying to manage and hold down under the surface. You could be falling into a deeper trap. So I want to encourage you, give you this challenge to invest in integrity. What have we said today? It's an investment that you'll never regret. So the third thing from 1 Timothy 3, is seek to be a servant. Seek to be a servant. 1 Timothy 3, 13 says this very thing, that when we serve, when we serve the Lord, let's put that one on the screen, 1 Timothy 3, 13, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ. Keep that up one more time. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ. Interesting that these are traits of one who should lead in the church. And really, there's nothing about talent in this passage. Nothing really about giftedness or proficiency. 
It's all about character. Can I tell you, I hope that we can lead a church where we're not, we're not running to try to catch up with our giftedness, but that we're developing our character where we're rejecting the diva mentality. We're rejecting just showing off our charisma in front of crowds, and we are working in partnership with the Spirit of God to produce character in our lives. And as we are, you and I will be called to be servants. That's the call, and there's reward of being a servant. In uh, 2017, just a few years back in the city of Mumbai, India, they outlawed, there was a part of the city there, uh, millions of people, and they outlawed selfies. You could no longer take a selfie in this very populated city. Washington Post that same year reported that in America there were over 250 deaths caused by selfie. I would have guessed more. The data revealed that those selfie deaths were the result of drowning, of falling, of animal attacks, and electrocution in that order. Over 250 people who died as a result of selfie. Psychologists have surveyed and shared with us, and I believe that it's true, that at the essence of selfie is deep down in every human, we want to matter and we want to be seen. In order for us to matter, we must be seen. We live in some ways for publicity. But the call of the servant the call of the leader, and the world, by the way, is crying out in the midst of the doom and gloom. We need faith, hope, and love. We need people who will start at home, who will invest in their integrity, who will seek to be a servant. And part of being a servant is not going for the publicity, but striving for intimacy. Years ago, there was a, a show that people were raving about, some in my friendship circle. Any of you remember Downtown Abbey? And I didn't want to watch it. I resisted it, and I thought, okay, everybody's, everybody's doing it. I'll follow in with the crowd. And this show about the, Arist uh, this, the British elegance, and there was this home set in the early 20th century, and there was, there was upstairs, if you will, and downstairs. And the inhabitants upstairs, they had this elegant, stately home um, surroundings they had stiff collars and afternoon tea they would drink the tea with their pinky finger up in the air like the British do the snooty British do but down below the surface there were uh, downstairs there were servants and cooks and butlers and chambermaids there were people down below and there was constant commotion but the people upstairs would not have the apparent ease the or at least the illusion of ease in their lives if it weren't for the folks serving downstairs it's kind of it's kind of like a parable that Jesus told about houses and foundations at the end of the sermon on the mount you know there's a glamorous quality above the surface that people see but buried beneath beneath the house is a foundation and people don't see that. But according to Jesus, it's what's buried underneath and what is not seen that will determine the home's ability to endure. And can I say it's not in your life and mine, it is not the glamorous qualities that people see. It's what's buried beneath us. That's what people see. Take a look at this passage from Corinthians on the screen. A passage that could bring some fear, but also could promote great faith in you. Take a look. It says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, He, that's our God, will bring to light what is hidden in darkness 
and will expose the motives of the heart. We try so hard. I want to tell every leader, every potential leader, we try so hard to build impressive houses while we neglect building a strong foundation. When it comes to leadership today, I want to ask you, 1 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy, and I want to tell you today that if you aspire to leadership, you're aspiring to a good thing. I want you today, as we close, I want you to invite you to pray with me. And you may want to bow your head, and I just want to ask you, I want to ask you to ponder in your heart, to ponder in your heart what trap you have either fallen into or you're about to fall into. It could be at the house. It could be where you live and who you live with. I want to again say to every leader and would-be leader to invest in your home, to think about rhythms, routines, and habits that produce peace, to think about shared meals, to think about ways that daily and monthly and annually that you can do, you can create, you can scheme to create life-giving, joy-bringing, memory-making results with your children, with your spouse. Would you consider today what investment you can make in your integrity? Would you consider what ways you are looking to see who's following you and you're promoting yourself and following for publicity, leading to be noticed? Would you think today, would you think today about the work that God wants to do in your heart? What God wants to bless, what God desires to create in you is the heart of of a servant, where you would care so less about building an impressive home and so much more about a strong foundation, a neglected, faulty, sandy foundation could sink you. Can I tell you today in love, it could sink you. Would you pray with me? Our team's going to come up and lead us as we close, and we have an opportunity to to sing and make melody in our hearts. Maybe today this could be a good word, in some ways a happy word for you, but it could be also a convicting word, something hard that God wants to bring to the surface. And what I'm preaching today, look, starting at home, investing in integrity and seeking to be a servant are lessons I'm learning in my own life. Thank God for those who've loved me enough to confront me. Thank God for the times that I've been able to confess and receive that grace of confessing and forsaking Father, would you do a work in us? And this, this leader who said to us to start at home, to invest in our integrity, to seek the life of a servant, was the one who said in the book of Philippians, a happy, happy letter, deep and abiding joy he talked about. But he said in chapter 3, I have not arrived. I'm still pressing on. I'm still striving to be that man, to be that leader. But that same man could also say in Philippians 4, hey, the things you've seen in me and heard from me, hey, you can, you, things you've, you know, those things, you can practice these things and they can lead to peace. What a call for a leader. We've got to be an example, but at the same time, we haven't arrived. We've got to raise up leaders, this world, with the pain, with the racial injustice, with division, with animosity, with bitterness, with gloom and the doom 
raise us up to lead with faith, hope, and love. Bless homes that are hurting now. Convict leaders of those homes to make things right, to receive the grace they need from you. In Jesus, in Jesus we pray.